This is a Narrative Live special event, 100 Days of Joe Biden, brought to you tonight by Helix and Policy Genius. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Narrative Live. It's President Joseph Biden's first address to a joint sitting of Congress. We'll bring you the entire speech live and what an event it's going to be. I'm joined tonight by Alison Gill of the Daily Beans podcast. How are you, Alison? I'm great, Dev. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about tonight's speech. I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, he's probably seen, what, 40-plus speeches, considering he was a senator for 36 years and, and then a vice president for eight. But it's a lot different, I bet, uh, actually giving one uh, on your own. And I think he's going to do a fantastic job. He's got lots to crow about. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think he's going to go over a lot of different things. Um, it's a different, very different vibe in the room this time than we're normally used to because of COVID restrictions. Um, we know that instead of all nine justices tonight, we only have one. That's Chief Justice John Roberts. Instead of all the Joint Chiefs, we only have General Milley, the, the head of Joint Chiefs of Staff. Normally, there's 1,400 people in the chamber, but tonight it's just 200. And... Um, but there's a lot of firsts tonight. We have the first black sergeant at arms that's going to be announcing the president. We've for then for the first time we have two women sitting behind uh, there behind they the are. president. We're looking at them right now. What is what a sight. They should just actually just say how remarkable this is. I mean, we have never seen this in American history and what two wonderful women they are. I mean, we're talking about the uh, the vice president Kamala Harris and the speaker of the house uh, Nancy Pelosi. Boy, what a journey they've had to to this and what a journey women have had to this position of power. Mm, yeah, we only it was 14 years ago when we had one woman sitting back there and, and you're looking at her right now, Nancy Pelosi. That's when she first became Speaker of the House. And another 14 years later, now she's joined by the first woman vice president. Uh, Kamala Harris, and this is also the first time we will have a second gentleman in attendance at a, a, a at a address of joint the Joint Congress. Correct. Uh, what an interesting night for that. You know, I was watching earlier on the last Obama State of the Union address, because this is, for all intents and purposes, a State of the Union address. And I was watching uh, him give a big handshake to Joe Biden right behind him, because he was, of course, the vice president at the time. And, you know, that's sort of the uh, the, the, the handover we would like to have had instead of the one we, we landed up having to Donald Trump. But uh, now we are correcting history, it seems. And uh, Joe Biden is doing a tremendous job uh, so far. He's got lots to crow about in the first 100 days and many plans for the next 100 days. It'll be interesting to see how he deals with a smaller crowd than usual, too, because he's, he's been doing it for the entire campaign during the pandemic. It's certainly a very different look. I mean, we have not... Uh We've not seen this kind of thing, you know, for a long time. So this is, uh, you know, to see the, so few people there do not have that big entrance that we're normally used to. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That we're seeing a very different look. Yeah, it normally takes 10 minutes to get to the front. Yeah. And it's normally, what, 1,600 people in there? There's not 1,600 people there at all this time. So, uh, 200. Yeah. What a difference. Look mm-hmm. at that. What a very unusual feel. So he's handing over a copy of the speech now. First to his vice president, then to Nancy Pelosi. And then they'll put that aside. And remember last time during the Trump speech, Nancy Pelosi gave those those eye rolls and tore up the speech. And distinct honor (laughs) to present to you the President of the United States. Let's listen in, Allison, and uh, we'll catch up after the show. All right. I'm excited to hear what he has to say, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what an incredible speech it was. What was your yeah, takeaway? Just about an hour. I thought he I thought it was really well organized. He he started out with his three big pieces of legislation, the one we've already passed, American Rescue Plan, the one they're working on now, the American Jobs Plan, and then of course finished up with the American Families Plan and sprinkled all throughout there all the other things he wants to accomplish, which we can go over in in a little more detail, yeah. but wrapped it up with the autocrats are betting against us. And we looked autocracy and insurrection and a pandemic in the face, and we didn't flinch, he said there at the end. And I thought that him tying autocracy into and putting it in stark contrast to the America that he's planning and trying to rebuild, I think was really effective. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was such an interesting underpinning of everything tonight was this idea that we've all been talking about for years on your program and on on mine about how autocracy is trying to destroy democracy. And for the first time, really outlined to the American people what that really looks like and what that means with the actual examples of what Xi might be doing and uh, how dogged he is about his determination to defeat America. And that's why he's presented all these policies that are so important to feeding that effort to destroy democracy. So even though a lot of people say it's really expensive, and how are we going to pay for it? It's almost like, how can you afford not to do it? Because there's such important policies. And I thought the American Families Plan that you touched on there is, is transformational. Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that. I thought it was just a, an incredible plan with, with huge uh, potential to change America. Yeah, let's uh, see my notes here for the America's, American Families Plan. The first, he, he talked about education and said he wanted to expand. Instead of 12 years of education, everyone would get, the, you can see it on the uh, screen there, four years of education, two, two pre-K and two community college free. Amazing. And then, yeah, and, and that's just uh, stunning, especially when you combine it with his jobs plan and infrastructure and and green new jobs and and how 75 percent of the new jobs that would be created by the jobs plan only require an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree whereas 90 percent don't require a college education at all and so this the whole thing i think is based on anti-trickle-down economics what he said bottom and middle out instead Mm. of trickle down and everything weaves into each other, closing all these tax loopholes for families above making above $400,000, reinvesting that just to pay their share and reinvesting it in the country in these infrastructure plans that will create more jobs. That helps businesses because you're going to have a more educated electorate. You're going to have a more educated workforce. You're going to have higher wages. He, he brought the $15 wage in. That's going to generate, uh, it's going to have create jobs, new green jobs, so it saves the planet. But it also injects a whole ton of tax revenue into our system that has been wholly depleted specifically over the last four years and the loss of millions of jobs by the former guy there. Something else in the family's plan, child care. And you could see Elizabeth Warren give a fist pump there when they brought up the affordable child care. 12 weeks of paid medical leave for families was huge and extended extend the child tax credits through 2025. $3,000 per child. That's a significant amount. And 56% of uh, of American children will be lifted out of poverty. The the transformational impact of something like that is cannot be overstated. It'll change America's along with all this education, along with everything, boy, we're looking at a a completely new American future going forward. Yeah, and the idea of when, when we spend our tax dollars, all of that money is going to be spent on products made by Americans in the United States. And for example, he mentioned the, the turbine, wind turbine blades should be made in Pittsburgh and not in Beijing. That's a good line. Uh, 
It's going to stop jobs from being outsourced. It's going to, and you know, it's really going to build the economy. We're going to have a 6% growth. And something he really interesting that he brought up separately from these three main acts that he's going to do, which he, by the way, got the parliamentarian to approve additional budget reconciliation rounds so that he can do this without Republicans if, if he can get Manchin on board. Right. <laughs> Manchin's the uh, most important person there, without a doubt. But he talked about the Department of Defense's uh, resource agency outside the, de- the Department of Defense that, that works on research and development. And it used to be 2%. We would invest 2% of our GDP into technological research and development. Now it's less than 1%. And he, he wants that to, to go back and put that back online, but then also do it for the NIH, the National Institute of Health, and have that same kind of agency for our health programs. And then, of course, that led us into all the discussions that he wanted to have about healthcare, expanding Medicaid, negotiating, having Medicare negotiate drug prices, which saves money. And that money saved could go to expand Medicare. We could get more healthcare, free healthcare to the people without spending a penny. Everything's paid for. It's it's incredible. It's, it is incredible that only by increasing, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. only by increasing the, the tax rates for the richest Americans to, the, to what it was when George Bush was president, to, which is not a long time ago, but I can't believe how, how much it shrunk. But it's, that tax rate was 39%. And uh, he's proposing to return that rate to people who earn $400,000 or above. And that will be enough to lift so many people out of poverty, to create so much more education in the system, to allow us to really challenge the future and to challenge our competitors in China and Russia. Wow, that's uh, a dramatic move. And it's hard to disagree with, although I noticed Mitt Romney in the sulking on the side there and Ted Cruz sulking on the side there. But that, that was good to see those shots because they it's hard to agree with disagree with his logic. If you're yeah, a Republican, it's hard to disagree. Any deficit hawk that wants us to pay down the deficit and the national debt has to realize we have to have more tax revenue and employed people to do that, which means we have to have more educated and healthy people to do that. So you invest in that. And again, you grow it from the bottom and the middle out and not trickle down. We know, and he mentioned, everybody knows trickle down economics isn't work. I, well, the first $2 trillion dollars from the last tax cut? That's, that's mm-hmm. the quote. That's the fact that he quoted there. $2 trillion in additional deficit from that last 2017 tax cut? It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. No, absolutely. And I think that it, I, I, did you catch this is off topic here, but Ted Cruz nodded off. They they were they had the camera on him and I was looking and I noticed that he was wearing his gun mask. And I think they put the camera on him because they were talking at that point about closing the loopholes for background checks and things like that. And the ghost guns, and, I think. Yeah. And the ghost guns. And they, they put the camera on Ted Cruz and he's nodding off, but he's wearing his gun mask. And so I thought that was a good representation there for Texas by Senator Ted Cruz. Absolutely. I thought the uh, other key moment, I saw Lauren Boebert doing the same thing, by the way, getting upset with the cameras, pointing at going to her when they were talking about guns. This is what you stand for. You should be happy about the fact that they're coming to you. This is what you you're here fighting for. You don't want the camera on you when we talk about guns. Don't appear on television with a wall, giant wall of guns behind exactly. you. <laughs> the plea to end cancer, I thought, was so significant. And he said it before, and he really means it. I truly believe he really means it. And it's been a, uh, obviously a big passion of his. And it seems like he can get it, you know, some sort of bipartisan support on that, at least. Yeah, and I, I think so too. Even Manchin, they did look over to Manchin and he was sort of nodding a little bit. He, it, it's We've tried this before and it's failed, particularly on the background check stuff. But one other thing that 
on a personal note that I noticed, and Zev, you, you can tell me if you've f- thought of this too. Whenever presidents address Congress, and I've seen so many of these, they always have little anecdotes. For example, like the grandma in South Carolina who told me this and told me that, or like Bob Jenkins in, in Rhode Island who said this and that. And every time, every president in the past, Bush, Clinton, Obama, other presidents, every time they use those anecdotes and tell those little stories, I'm always like, oh, it's it's always dragging out the anecdotes. He doesn't know who this person is, whatever. But with Biden, I truly believe he probably not only knows these people, but probably spent a bunch of time talking to them Mm -hmm. and, and listening to what they had to say. That was the first time I found those little anecdotes believable. They didn't stand out to me as cringeworthy. I agree. I think, you know, especially the one with uh, George Floyd's uh, daughter. My daddy changed the world. And boy, that's powerful. But Biden actually does this. Biden goes out of his way to to talk to all these victims of violence, to spend time connecting with people because he relates personally to the death of his son, but also just because he's that kind of guy that it's not surprising to hear him say these things. And he knows these people so well. But it sounds so authentic. I think it's a very good point. This is a remarkable speech. It's the most ambitious plan you could ever imagine putting together for any president. But it's uh, it's uh, unbelievable. If they can achieve even half of this, it would be insane. They might even achieve more because he is a good unifier. And he there is in everything he's saying so much logic and so much appeal to middle America, to blue-collar jobs and to healthcare and to the kind of stuff that you care about at the kitchen room table. Boy, that is really going to speak to Americans, and it's got to impact the Republican base. just has to along the way. Yeah, he's got a really great approval rating. The American Rescue Plan has a huge approval rating, and I think that I'm confident he will get the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan passed because he's got budget reconciliation to do that. He might have to water it down a little bit for Mansion and Cinema, but that's far easier than trying to get 10 Republicans to come on board. But I tell you what, and I mentioned this in in my other podcast uh, today when I was talking to Andrew Torres, just the fact that a group of Republicans came to the White House to discuss the infrastructure plan, the American Jobs Plan, and brought in with them a $600 billion proposal. I've never seen any Republican or group of Republicans agree to spend $600 billion on anything except tax cuts for the wealthy. I thought right. that was pretty astounding. I'm not giving them any credit. Their plan is shit. Oh, guys, sorry. Do we? That's okay. You're allowed. It's like your oh. show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just to see any Republican who's, as what do they say in Shawshank, whose asshole doesn't close watertight as a frog when you ask him for money? <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but there you go. That's interesting. I was, I was like, okay, that's, but that's how you do it, right? You go big and then you see if anybody will meet you anywhere. We're going to be able to do this without the Republicans through budget reconciliation, both of these two huge pieces of legislation, probably by the end of this fiscal year, which ends the end of September. And that alone, if they just do that, intense and amazing. But there's so many other important things that cannot get passed through budget reconciliation. And we know we don't have the votes to eliminate the filibuster that we're going to have to push for. And we'll have to see if Mansion and Cinema, if we can get the Republicans to say no enough to common sense gun legislation, the Equality Act, things that everybody wants, closing the gun loophole, background checks, immigration reform. If we can get the Republicans to say no enough, which they will, by the way, every single time they'll say no, then maybe Mansion and Cinema will be like, all right, let's kill the filibuster for 
voting rights act bills. Yeah, or- he'd do it without it. He might be able to do it without killing the filibuster. I, just, I think that there is an appeal that he has to his Republican senators or to the Republican senators where he might be able to get away with some of this. And if the focus on China is such a good one, right? Because Republicans are so hawkish in that regard that they're not going to be – it's hard for them to argue against it. It's hard for them to argue you know, for China. They're not going to they're not going to find themselves doing that. So he's done a really good job. America needs a, a foil and America needs an enemy. And uh, he certainly did a great job in identifying the China as the key enemy. I'm going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, LB is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about Rudy Giuliani and what happened today and also about his other comments in the speech about uh, white supremacism. So that's coming up right after the break. Tonight's 100-day special event is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I've heard it from so many people. The one thing that's changed since January is their sleep. Not waking up worrying about what the president might have done or said or tweeted makes the world of a difference. I don't think I had a good solid night's sleep in four years. And it wasn't only the president. My 10-year-old mattress, which started life as a 12-inch foam mattress, had shrunk to an 8-inch mattress. And getting out of bed was often more of a slide than a bounce. It was time for a new mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Changing the course of a country can take a village. Changing the course of your sleep takes a quiz. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. That's helixsleep.com slash narrative for up to $200 off and two free pillows just for you. And we're back. Here's the fabulous LB. Hi, LB. How are you? Hi, I'm okay. (laughs) But I'm so happy. Allison, hi. Have we ever done video? Have we only ever done audio? I can't figure this out now. We've done this show narrative one time together. We've done. Okay. Okay. It was good. It was good. And now it's time to reunite. So I'm glad to have you both here. What did you think of the speech, LB? And then I want to get into Rudy because that was such a big news tonight. I know. I got to be honest, guys. I couldn't watch all of it. I am in the middle of a massive thing. I'm trying to get off my plate. But I saw enough of it and I kept it on the background. And there are a couple moments where he grabbed me, my attention away from what I was doing. But what I love... I, I there's I just want to talk about other things. I don't know if you guys started on this either, but I totally loved seeing two women mm-hmm. standing there waiting for him. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, I, it just struck me. That was amazing. amazing I'll just moment. never forget that image. And then and then it comes Joe and he's, hey everybody, hey, let's do this speech thing. And he just has this energy of it, it's I it's. Someone called it Rockwellian, right? It's just, he's just right there. He's just, he's a folksy guy by nature. He's not trying to affect that at all. He's just kind of Joe. And so I thought this, when the speech began, I was like, oh, he's just Joe in it. Hey, we're going to do this. We got this going on and then this thing over here and then this thing. Yeah, it was great. I just, it was very relatable. It's very easy. And then, so you almost don't know he's talking about these great big massive things that are just going to turn the nation, I think, for the good. I think we all agree for the good. So I just appreciate a president that is is elegant in what he's saying, and it's easy and it's relatable, and, and you don't have to be a 
dumb shit reality star in order to get that to to, to assume that personality and allow people to access you like it absolutely you can, you can actually be a really seasoned politician and know what you're doing and understand your job and Although so, a year ago, when we were watching him on the campaign trail, people were like, oh, no, he's low energy Joe. He was basically he wasn't even <laughs> filling a room. Like, remember, there's like five people, five stragglers <laughs> hanging out there. And now he's just he's so impressive and so powerful and is so in command. And, and look at all the stuff on his desk. There's a thousand policies that he's dealing with. Yeah. And he's got command of each and every one of those things, which certainly the former guy, I try to mind saying his name, Trump, he did certainly did no yeah. command of any of these. So the contrast is remarkable. You can't you hope for a better contrast. No, you can't. No. And also Trump just stacked everything with, it was a cacistocracy. It was just like the biggest idiot, the one that will do the most destruction, the person least qualified on the planet, Goomba got jammed into some big important job and fucked up whatever institution they were in charge of. Right. That was the plan. That was government. Government going to government. But that's what a Kremlin asset that's uh, born into the underworld of organized crime is going to do. So what do we expect? Speaking of Kremlin assets, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and born into the world of organized crime, definitely. There you go. I mean, yeah. both of those okay. things—they've been buddies you. forever. Yeah. This was a remarkable thing that happened today, and I'm sure the timing was not coincidental because it was a message, and it was a very clear message. And they're going after these guys, yeah. and Rudy Giuliani is pretty close to the top, if not the very top, at least one of those family trees. LB, you've been yeah. so much at the forefront of presenting everybody this idea that we were dealing with mobsters here. That must have been a bit of a moment for you, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a smile must have come to your face thinking about that. And, and what do you think the implications are for Mr. Rudy Giuliani? Uh, look, Rudy makes me laugh. I'm sorry. I find nothing. I have no empathy for him. I don't have I don't have anger. He's just a this is the real clownery, the real dumb fuckery of Donald Trump is Rudy Giuliani. And he's a bad dude, you guys. He has been very sinister from day one, I probably just in his life. But it, with respect to that former presidency, this people forget Rudy was part of the whole sort of psyop that went on in 2016 of building that alt-right machine yeah. in there with Flynn Jr. And he was doing that so much. And he has this cyber security firm, which really, Zeb, I think you and I have talked about before. I think he just had a copy of Promise left over from when he was at the <laughs> Justice possible. Department. And he's just been running around the planet selling that to a bunch of gangsters <laughs> and calling it cybersecurity. He's, it, this, is, this man, he died with his ball when his phone is in his pocket. He's just a mess. He's a mess. His security is a mess. His comms are a mess. I, he really, I think because he knows the justice system so well and because he's worked deals on both sides of, of the fence there at the highest levels, right? Southern District of New York, he did lead that commission trial, right? He did take down mm -hmm. the heads of all five families of organized crime. How convenient. And then said, Allison and I have laughed about this before, that says, I invented organized crime. <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a mess. But he does understand how to work a deal. He does know how to have leverage over people. He's probably better at that than Donald even. And Donald is kind of really good. That's why Donald says he's a deal maker is that he's just cut so many deals with the just Department his whole life, right? Like, and, it, and he's got dirt. And so these guys really think, like Jeffrey Epstein um, did, and like Julian Maxwell, I think, thought still to this day that if they have enough dirt, if they can hand over some horrible spy, if they can hand over some fucketeer or some gangster, that they'll get out of whatever predicament they're in. 
I don't think that's on the horizon for Rudy Giuliani. He's no, going to have a lot of crimes betray. there. There's a lot of crimes there's that he's a lot involved. of crimes. Because it's not just the crimes, crimes that you know we think that he's involved in. Look, it's not just about dirtying up Hunter Biden or being involved in the Biden yeah. events in the last year. It goes back to a lot of corruption. And certainly, ah. when you hear the names like uh, Furtash and Kolomoisky involved in these things, you're like. Okay, this is big time crime. We're not dealing with these low level uh, gangsters. No, no. Let's well, a, a, a jump in there if you would. Jump in, Elsa. Yeah, but- I, I just I want to remind everybody before you do yeah. who Furtash is. Dimitri Furtash mm. is. Dimitri Furtash was named by Bill. Oh God, I always forget his last name. Allison, the the very low voiced, incredible ambassador that we had in Ukraine. Remember, and he came and testified in the first impeachment. I'm trying to Madam Schiss. What was his last name? Take I'm me so a while. sorry, everybody. I forgot. I can't okay. So while he, in his first stint over in Ukraine, he actually issued a report on Dmitry Fertash as right. the money laundering front for Semyon Mogolevich. That is Richardson, I think. No, it's not Bill Richardson. It's, it's uh, whatever. It's one of those names. So it, it, don't forget who Fertash is a front man, a money man for the, uh, the biggest syndicate, <laughs> crime syndicate on the planet coming out of Russia. That's who he yeah. is. Yeah. Now, LB, I wanted to ask you, because the people who were targeted in this particular warrant, and I think are, it's fascinating, right? Because we have Solomon, who is named, and and if you remember, John Solomon wrote the Furtash, took the Furtash material and wrote it into, that's a fair violation. We know that because of what happened with with Gregory Craig in the Mueller investigation when they whitewashed the Tymoshenko report with the Vanderswan. So we've got Solomon, we've got Tonesy. Who, by the way, Vanderswan, the son-in-law, literally the voice that called, right? Like literally the Russian terminology. The son-in-law of Khan, which is the Alpha Group, which also were connected to Mogilevich. And we're, according to Khodorkovsky, who was that, that oligarch back in the early 2000s that Putin threw in the cage, remember? And he made him like, he was the wealthiest man in Russia and then he got exiled and Putin took all his money because Putin was making all these moves on these oligarchs. So Khodorkovsky actually went on BBC in 2019, I want to say it is, and did this incredible interview where he said, yeah, Alpha Group and the mobsters behind Putin, Alpha Group and Putin are clashing right now. And that has been going on. And if we remember the Steele dossier, that's all in the Steele dossier as well. Yep. And so we have Victoria Tonesing, who also got a knock on her door and we said, where did you take your phone? Okay, thanks. Bye. And And she's the lawyer of Furtash, right? She's been a long-term Furtash. (laughs) She's involved in seeding all this. Her and her husband did Jonova, right? Is that his name? Have been seeding bad, you know, GOP uh, conspiracy theories for decades. I'm going back to to Bill Clinton. Going back to Iran Contra. Going back to Iran Contra. So you know. Rudy and DeGeneva were responsible for leaking the Wiener laptop to the FBI New York field office, and we still haven't seen that report from the Inspector General. So we've got those guys in this particular warrant. And then we also know that they were searching for communications between Rudy Giuliani and Tone Singh, Rudy Giuliani and Parnison Fruman from the Parnison Fruman Show, and (laughs) communications between Rudy Giuliani and LB Zev, you know who this is, Derek Harvey. Remember aide to Nunez who was oh, at those- yes. Nunez was running around. <laughs> so all the that's interesting. So, that goes back to the impeachment. Yeah, this, that 
Yes, yeah. this goes back to spring. This is a group that was uh, assembled in spring of 2019 around fraud guarantee. They were getting information from Furtosh, who is funded by Mogilevich. But this is different to what we got reports last October that Rudy Giuliani was being investigated for, which I think he may already be indicted for, but I don't know yet, which is that's the intelligence operation of the Hunter Biden laptop with the guy in the Delaware Mac shop and the emails that were generated in Ukraine. Yeah. And I can't, it's just, it's look, they're just running ridiculous ops with mobsters and spies. That's what this is. That's how it is. My question for you is, if they are just now serving this warrant, we know that it was blocked by Jeffrey Rosen. They wanted to do this earlier, but the the previous guy's Department of Justice wouldn't let this warrant be executed. So so Merrick Garland lifted the block, but you can't just execute an eight-month-old warrant, a six-month-old warrant. You have to either either prove that the evidence that you were looking for eight months ago is still in the apartment and it's still in his phone, which it probably is because let's be honest, Rudy ball dials people, or they have to have some new piece of evidence that did this. So there are so many investigations going on into Rudy Giuliani. This is just one of them. And to me, it implicates so many people and it could potentially implicate so many people we know that rudy giuliani met with brian benchkowski and bill barr to try to get furtosh off the hook for his extradition we know i mean there's brian benchkowski who before donald trump put him as head of the organized crime division of the fbi uh, which (laughs) is the mobster division everybody was uh, the lawyer for alpha bank There's also just the natural gas resources that these guys were bidding on. Do you remember Parnas and and, uh, Furman and uh, Giuliani were involved in a partnership to get a natural gas pipeline license Mm -hmm. out of Ukraine? So that's worth billions Uh, of dollars right there. And the operation against the ambassador, that was involved a half a million Uh. dollar bribe. So there's uh, there's stuff in there that is still very real. And Goldman, David Daniel Goldman That's was right. on TV today saying that this was the financial side of the impeachment okay, trial. So that's yep. probably a little bit of that, a little bit of that that they're looking at. Which yeah, and you're right. You're right, Allison. There's, uh, I do think, and, and Daniel was saying this, something freshened that shit up. <laughs> so I don't think it's just we know where the comms are. I don't know, Rudy's. Did, did something. It's been a few months. Something freshened that up. So fresh insurrection. Isn't that interesting? The insurrection. Right, nothing, let's go back to the Wiener thing. Let's go back to the Wiener thing for a second. But, but no one has reported. Just to wrap that up. I'm sorry. Nobody has reported yet that there was anything in the warrant regarding any insurrection style stuff. No, so no. that's just. We but we know that they're investigating. Really know, still, there's still 100 really, arrests coming. On that. We we can tell by the names associated, but we actually really don't know what this is about. There are a lot of cooperating witnesses, one for sure, uh, which I think we only know about because they accidentally filed it on the public docket when they meant to file it under seal. But there are several indictments under seal in the insurrection with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Yeah. We'll see what we look at. But you wanted to talk about... You wanted to go back and talk about the Wiener laptop. laptop. Well, I just want to talk about the Wiener, the person who actually took, just to bring everybody back around with how deep Rudy is in every single aspect of this sort of attack on America that was the last presidency. I don't know what else to think of that, right? Is that he, that was Chuck Johnson, our favorite Holocaust denying troll, took credit for that, for that laptop op. Now, 
he tends to boast about things. He does, but he does know weave. They, this is, this guy's got a long history. And so there's Rudy in there yet again, messing around, trying to run ops. Rudy thinks he's a spy. I'm sorry, you guys. He does. He thinks he's like an intelligence officer and he thinks he can do this to me. He thinks he can run around. And I, I will tell you something. I, I actually, I, I, I've known, I, I know one to this day still, a, a, a big intelligence officer, not that I'm related to even, that knows how to, that actually has run this kind of stuff for, and did for past administrations. It, Rudy, I know who he thinks he's trying to be, right, when he's emulating these men and he thinks he can pull this stuff off. But really, he just ends up with his hands down the pants in a Borat film. It really is that. He really does just end up with paint on his face by a a landscaping parking lot that's now trolling him on Twitter. That's Rudy. He's gotten away with so much. He must feel like he can get away with everything until now. Until you look, let's be honest. He can't really claim to be the lawyer of the president. He might try and he might succeed. Oh, I want him. He's not really the lawyer. Let him go Michael Cohen all the way. Let's get individual one uh, uh, in some of this as well. I want to know what, here's what, here's the thing to really look at. This is what I'm keeping an eye on with this whole thing. Okay. I do believe it's about the money. And so something probably something that might've happened or might've gotten triggered was a payment. And so that will freshen shit up real quick. If everyone remembers that there's a supposed falling out between Donald and Rudy towards the end of Donald's days in office around Rudy saying, pay me, what was it, 20000 an hour? What was he looking for? <laughs> Some astronomical like amount of yeah. money. But okay, here's the thing. He always said, I work for free for the president. But Rudy Just doesn't like work for free. <laughs> Just like Manafort did. So who was paying Rudy Hang on, guys. Yeah. Who is facilitating that payment? How does Rudy know how to do this? Rudy's done this in his past with other people. You can facilitate those payments through lawyers. That's what's going on, in my opinion, with Tonsing, right? Is that Tonsing and Geneva. Yeah, she helped mm-hmm. facilitate a payment from her client to Rudy Giuliani. And it's happened over their comms because they're morons. There's probably <laughs> an email there, or a Bitcoin or something. I don't, there's something. You're right. You're right. That's probably exactly what it is. I have a question for you, LB and Zev, because we know that when you go in and you raid a house like this, we learned this from from Cohen and Manafort, yeah. those raids, raids of the past. We know that what will have to happen is when they go through all this evidence, they'll have to, the court will have to appoint a special master or uh, the FBI right. has a taint team to go through to make sure to separate all of the stuff that's attorney-client privilege. And Rudy Giuliani's an attorney, Victoria Tonsig, and those payments were made by an attorney, and probably all that money was managed and paid in legal fees. However, tell us, tell us about what, tell us about that lovely thing called the crime fraud exception, would you? Yeah, so you can't be committing a crime <laughs> as a and lawyer. You can't say, attorney-client privilege protects us from this. You can't, just because you have a law degree or someone, e- even you have a client that's paying you or you're doing pro bono service for the president of the United States because he apparently has no money. You still can't use that agency as a, an attorney and the privilege that you're awarded that to to shelter and cloak the crimes. Now, Guess where this got invented, everybody? 
Guess who invented the this? The mobsters invented Where this. The mobsters invented it. No, Morshanker invented it. Morshanker right? invented it. I actually was about to do a tweet today about how Rudy's trying to be Morshanker and he can't. <laughs> so just just to give you guys some old mod history. So Morshanker was the attorney for just about every mobster on the planet back in the 30s and 40s. But he... Yeah, Sidney Korshak, who was like an original major mob boss that no one ever talks about, except me. I'll end up talking about this motherfucker for a while, fairly soon. And what Morris did was he used that attorney-client privilege to also be a mafia boss and eventually got nailed for the frauds that he was running with these guys. He was a part owner in the Sands Casino. He was like doing deals with Howard Hughes under the under the table. There was like intelligence operations running through all those casinos. So this kind of mixed up world of, of mafia attorneys or criminal attorneys that are also criminals that are trying to both simultaneously run rackets and work deals with the government because they have one foot in with the government as well. And so they think, okay, I can get off because I'll hand you somebody bigger or I'll hand you somebody dirtier, or I'll give you the inside scoop on some big investigation you're doing into that might have counterintelligence tentacles into it. That sounds, it sounds like this big fantasy world, you guys, but that's That's really what they do. That's really, that's what Leslie Wexner did for years. This is what these guys do, okay? And when they have the cloak of attorney, they try to get away with that privilege. And and the mobsters that they're doing business with think, oh, it's my attorney. No one will talk to my attorney. It takes you right to to Tom Cruise in the firm and how he had to do the deal at the end of the movie with the syndicate bosses. I'm your attorney. I'll just be this floating ship that never moors, right? Because I can keep all this with me. As long as he's also not committing a crime or using that shield to commit a crime. Michael Cohen committed a crime. He was doing dirty business. And Rudy, I, I think we will probably find out that Rudy was too. I think we will. And I think this is reverberating in Mar-a-Lago, I'm sure, quite in a big way tonight, and also in the Kremlin. This is the Kremlin's yeah. mobsters. These are their guys. If Putin's not having a good day knowing that this is going down because there's communications that are not far away from him in terms of this. Sometimes yeah. I think... Putin is watching what Giuliani does and is just uh, trying to be, like you said, trying to be one of these these spies. Just like it reminds me of Jacob Wool and and Berkman <laughs> trying to trying to pull off the the what Cambridge Analytica was doing with the robocalls and the Rust Belt states. Yeah. But something else, LB, I wanted to bring up too. And, and you know I what, find this- Can you hold on that? I've got to take another break and then we'll get on the other side and we'll ask some more if LB can stick around. Can you, LB? I'll stick around for, I'll stick around for Alice. Okay. Yeah, this right. is going to be a play. We'll be right back, okay. guys. All right. So that was meant to be an ad, but it's not. I can tell. I'm, okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. Oh, I'll, I'll look for it. Okay, wait, what was, Allison, what were you asking? Yeah, that's the question. I'll see if I can find yeah. the ad in the meantime. Aside from crime fraud exception, yeah. there is something called third party exception, where if you bring a third party in who's not an attorney, it blows up your attorney client privilege. And I just want to think <laughs> it's like, that's why. I think it was important that they pointed out they were looking for communications with Derek Harvey and communications with Parnas and Fruman oh. because those three are not attorneys. And nice. so if Giuliani oh. told Parnas and Fruman oh. to tell Harvey something or vice versa. Very so this is, this is a, a monstrous thing that they're going to start bringing down. And it, clearly this is a signal to all of them. 
that they are bringing him down. They're not stopping here. For them to go ahead and do this today, on this day, was a real signal. And, and clearly, it's a strong message of Mary Garland's you think it was, sending. You think it was a signal? You think it was purposefully done today on the day I of do. the... Yeah. I do. I don't, think, I don't think there's any coordination don't. between the White House and Mary Garland. I don't. No. I absolutely believe there's no coordination. But I think Mary Garland's not a, he's an astute man. And I don't think it's a bad idea to, to make sure that they realize, at least in the first hundred days, that they're serious about their commitment to an independent uh, DOJ. I, I think well, there's a real possibility that this was a yeah. strongly thought out, uh, intended message to send to the organized criminals. No, no yeah. proof of that. But I just think that uh, wouldn't surprise me. Certainly wouldn't surprise me. Whether intentional or not, it, it's a nice little package. So I'll take it. True. Right. I'll, yeah. take the, yeah. I'll take the package. I, I, I actually think it, uh, it could have been a time sensitive thing. I think there was some kind of transaction that occurred. They needed to, they clearly got permission to go do it. And they just went and they moved before, even though Alice and I had a little exchange on Twitter today. Oh my God, there's no way that Rudy could figure out how to burn his devices or I don't know, maybe just threw everything in the no. toilet, like Ray Liotta and Goodfellas or Rocco putting all the cocaine. He's got, he's got a file. Maybe, I don't know. Like he's got a file called Evidence of Crimes. I yeah, mean, his, <laughs> his company was called Fraud Guarantee. Oh, yes, exactly. And you guys, we haven't even gotten to Turkey and Hawk Bank and the Iranian money. And Libya? Like, Libya? We got the Libyan and, oil and thing? The, That's huge. <laughs> the Libyan oil. This guy's just up to his eyeballs. It, it's just, uh, it, it, I, 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 I love it so much. Mm. It just was a good too. day. Yeah, I don't I, think it was. Yeah. I don't think it was coordinated or, or on purpose. Personally, I think they just. Uh, this is come on. This is such a. This is theater, right? They do it all. They do it for for a reason. They don't just do it. So maybe uh, I'm so cynical. I spent too many times, too many years as a journalist to realize <laughs> that this is this is how they, they do this. But it's it's just like for them, they realize it's an optics thing, and they want to send the right message to. To the mob, they want to put the right message in front of people tonight before Biden gets to have to answer questions about what's going on with prosecuting Donald Trump. They don't want to. They don't want him to have to answer that many tough questions on that. So they they do this thing in the morning, make sure that they realize that there's still a there's still a clear message to everybody that the investigation continues. That's an interesting theory, and but I'll give you the reasons why I don't think it mm-hmm. was. First of all. It's the sovereign district of New York, right? right? They take no, that's, I think that they are working independently. And I think Biden would keep his promise to do that uh, unless they're scheming in the southern district of New York to be like, wouldn't it funny? Wouldn't it be well, funny if we did that? You can, you can have, I'm sure there's get, no coordination. I'm sure there's, the White House is not getting involved in the decisions, but I do think that there's possibly, you know, such astute enough people politically inside the SDNY and within the DOJ yeah, but you this, don't, is the right, this is a good signal. They're a political organization too, ultimately. But if you have this, if you have this search warrant, you don't hang on to execute it until a very cool political yeah. prominent day. And that's the only re- that's the only, one of the only reasons I think that it, it just would they not have waited. Fit. They would have waited for uh, Bard. You know, they waited for Mary Garland to get in because they needed to overturn the, the decisions. They needed some. Well, OK, so let me chime in. Yeah. There was some, I do believe that there was some waiting because there was a lot of. I do think this is an assumption, but I think we're going to find out. And there's reporting that points to this, that there was a lot of interference from bars, from bar himself and and a lot. And so if you're sitting there going, the time's not running out on the crimes, the you know, you're a justice department officials. He was. Absolutely. But this 
something happened. I, I do believe that something happened, Sev. Something happened to freshen this particular thing up, and and the whole stack of stuff they got to handle, they've got to deal with. Something happened around this that then allowed them to act, and so that's there was a raid in Colin Whiskey's office. It could have been the other way. Yeah, there, there, was, there was a raid right. in yeah, Colin was, offices, and they raided a lot of data from there, a lot of financial so records. So they could have been right. looking through all this and said, hey, look what yeah. we found. Look at all this mm-hmm. records of money that's being right. passed through here. And then you got to go to yeah. a judge, and then you got to get a thing, and then you got to it, – it, there's a lot of hurdles to clear, and you can't sit on it once you've cleared them. Motivated. Get, don't get me wrong. I just think that there's political oh, right. thinking going on into the optical of the optics of it because they have to do it. They, they're political organizations, and they're – also investigating big political figures. It would be like hitting a bullet from 500 yards away with another bullet to try to get this search warrant right. to line up on the day of the address yeah. to Congress. Personally, that's, that's what right. I think. My limited Some people knowledge are sharp shooters. Is- we can agree to disagree because I actually have no proof of this. This yeah. is just my guessing. I can't play this ad because it won't play. So I'm going to just uh, include it in the podcast because that's where it's also going to be airing. And let's keep talking if you want to, but I don't know if you've got to run, LB. We can keep yapping. I, I got it. Longer. What time is it? Oh, oh, I'm going to Doing coffee all that here. Oh, no, we um, have to go. This is the end of the show. Look at the time. It's so much fun hanging out with you that I didn't realize it was already time to go. So <laughs> I thought it was like another half an hour, but no, apparently that's it. And that's the end of the show. Alison Gill, thank you so much for being here tonight from uh, the Daily Beans podcast and Muller She Wrote to the best things out there. And LB, thank you for being here tonight. And uh, we'll be back Friday with the after show. And thanks very much for watching tonight on Narrative. Have a good night, everybody. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.